The Gospel of John, chapter 4, page 1052. And let me read the first 15 verses or so of this passage. John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. So the lights dim, the curtain goes up, you see an empty stage, and on this stage there is only one prop, a well. Enter stage right, a man. He's walking slowly, he looks weary, he sits down, sort of plops down on the edge of the well, and he takes the back of his hand and wipes his brow. Clearly, without saying a word, you understand that he's tired, he's fatigued. Then enter stage left, a woman. She's got a bucket with a rope tied to it, and it's coiled up over her shoulder, and she's walking the rope over to the well. She sees the man and quickly looks away, pretending that she doesn't see him. And she goes to the well and starts to let down the bucket. And that's when the man breaks the awkward silence, and he says to her, could you give me a drink? And what follows is a conversation about water. You know, what a simple story. What, what a, a bare, kind of minimalistic, common story. A man and a woman meet at a well, and they have a conversation about that most fascinating of topics, water. You know, it's at one level, this story is so kind of pedestrian and bland that it's almost boring if you just read it quickly. But the more you look at the story, you realize there's something else happening here, that in this plain conversation between Jesus and this unnamed woman, we start to learn some of the most profound truths, not only about the human spirit and the human heart 
and the way God designed us, but also about who Jesus is and what he came to bring. Make no mistake about it, this story is deep. It's like a well. And you've got to take time to let your bucket down to draw the water out of it. So let's look back at the story. Here's Jesus at the well. Just by way of kind of setting the stage here, we remember in verses 1 to 6 how he got there. In verse 3, he was traveling from Judea to Galilee. So he was going from the south of Israel to the north of Israel. And to get there, you had to travel through the land of Samaria. Uh, And as he was going through Samaria, he comes to this town of Sychar at the foot of Mount Gerizim. And he comes to a well, Jacob's well. And he's tired. It's about the sixth hour, it says in verse 6. So so they would start marking their hours from sunrise. So it would be about 6 in the morning-ish. So roughly, you know, 6 in the morning, 6 hours later would be about noon. So this is noon. It's hot. It's the heat of the day in the desert. Jesus is tired. He needs a drink. What a great reminder uh, that when Jesus came among us, the Word of God truly did become flesh. Jesus got tired. He got weary. He really was a human being. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And he experienced all of the limitations and aches and pains that we experience, including thirst. So he says to this woman, can I have a drink? Give me a drink. Look at her response, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We touched on this a little bit last Sunday, but let me just kind of review that as well. Uh, As it says there, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The Jews in particular at that time looked down on Samaritans for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, that they considered the Samaritans to be sort of ethnically polluted. Uh, The Samaritans, if you kind of trace their history, they had originally been part of, of Israel. They had been Jews, but then they had intermarried with Gentiles. So from the Jewish perspective, they were kind of this mutt. They, they had been polluted with unclean Gentile descent and ancestors. And as a result, you, you know, Jews sort of, uh, good Jews kept their hands clean of Samaritans. So to think that Jesus, you know, would ask the woman to get him some water and that he would put the water to his lips. I mean, there's kind of a visceral uncleanness sort of thing that that Jesus is crossing over there. But not only that, the Samaritans also had some theology that the Jews thought was wacky. Uh, The Samaritans only believed that the first five books of the Hebrew Bible were legit. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. After that, the Samaritans didn't believe it, but the Jews did. So that there was this disagreement about what was God's Word. And as a result, there's a disagreement about where to worship. Uh, you know, you look in the first five books of the Bible, there's nothing about worshiping in Jerusalem. The, the main site in Israel where people worshiped was uh, at this place called Shechem, which was Sikar, which was at the foot of Mount Gerizim. And so that's where the Samaritans actually built a rival temple to Jerusalem. So the Jerusalemites, the Jews had their temple, the Samaritans had their temple. There was a big disagreement about who the heretics were. So you can see the Jews, they didn't like it for ethnic reasons, for religious reasons. So that's why this woman is startled when Jesus says, "Uh, excuse me, can I have a drink? That's not what she expected a Jewish man to say to her as a Samaritan woman. Uh, You know, sometimes you get in those socially awkward situations. I don't know if you've ever been in a socially awkward situation where someone says something or does something that's just really uncomfortable. And you try to just kind of paper over it. 
you know, you giggle and <laughs> change the conversation and, you know, pretend like it didn't happen. Like, we'll just, you know, we'll do a do-over here. We'll pretend like you didn't just say that. But sometimes people say things that are so socially awkward that you, you have to call it out, you know. And you're, you say, uh, wow, that was really inappropriate. I can't believe you just said that, you know, and, and that kind of thing. It seems like we're in the latter category here. Jesus asks her for a drink, and she can't just giggle it off or something. She has to say, okay, this is awkward. You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you bringing this up? Why are we talking about this? And look at Jesus' response. It's great. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I bet the woman did not expect she was going to be having this conversation today. Jesus says, look, look, look. If you knew what I was offering you and you knew who I was, you'd be the one acting socially awkward. You'd be the one coming to me and breaking all of social convention and crossing all the invisible lines between people groups. You'd be coming to me asking for living water. No, no, no. If you knew who I was and what I was offering you, The woman says, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? So clearly, something has happened in this conversation. Jesus has made a shift from talking about literal H2O to some kind of theological spiritual message, right? When he said, I can give you living water, he made a shift there. There was a move that took place, but she didn't make the shift with him. You know, she doesn't get it because she's like, what living water? You don't even have a bucket. Where do you get it? And it's a little bit confusing because that phrase living water can, can mean and is sometimes used in, in Greek to describe running water. So like water that's running down a stream, you know, living water, it's moving. So he uses kind of ambiguous language, and she didn't, she didn't pick up on it. You know, she, they're driving down the highway together, and Jesus gets off the exit, and she misses the exit. He's going to Spiritualville. She's on, lit, on the highway to Literalville. She's totally missed it. He's like, I could give you living water. And she's going, what do you mean? You don't even have a bucket. I don't understand. So let's make sure we don't miss the turn. Let, let's just stop here. We have the, the advantage of, you know, reading kind of Monday morning quarterbacking her conversation. So let's make sure we don't miss the turn, and let's ask the question, what did Jesus mean by giving her living water? What is he talking about? If he's not talking about H2O or H2O running down a stream, what, is, what does he mean? What is the living water? And what you find when you look at the Bible is that water is a rich complex image for life that, that is life from God. You know, you think about water. Let me just start with water. It, it's life-giving. It is a basic necessity of life. You can go weeks and weeks without food. You can probably almost go two months without food if, if necessary. Maybe you might last that long. You can go, you know, years without real companionship. You can go your whole life without the internet. I know that's hard to imagine. You actually could. But how long can you go without water? 
days, I don't know, a week. I don't know, doctors here could tell us. I, I don't really want to find out. I'm thinking, what is there more basic than water? The only thing I could come up with was air. You know, you can go a few minutes without air. You can go a few days without water, months without food. So water is a basic necessity. It is fundamental to life. It's fundamental to our life. It's fundamental to crops and food. It's, it's you know, when sci- a, a guy after the first service was talking to me, he's a scientist, and he's all fired up about water. He's like, I can't believe you're talking about this. And he, was, he works with these guys who are looking for distant planets, and, and, and they're looking for planets with water. You know, that, that's this thing. If the planet has water, there might be a chance for life. If it has a snow cap or an ice cap, there could be life there. We might be able to bring life there. But you have to have water. It's so fundamental. Think about how true this would have been in a desert environment. Um, you know, we take water for granted. We turn on the faucet. There's water. We dig holes in our backyard. We fill it up with water, and people go swimming. Um, you know, we have water everywhere. We have uh, Evian water bottles. Everyone's got a water bottle. We just take it for granted. But in a desert environment, water is gold. People dig cisterns, and they, they try to collect rainwater. And if you can dig a well like this one, and, and in this well there's consistent running water as there is today. You can go to Jacob's well today. It's still there. It still has water. You know, to find a well like that in the desert, that is gold. That is liquid gold because it means life. It means you won't die and your herds won't die and you'll be able to survive. So take this idea of water as life-giving, uh, as a life-giving substance and then now take it, and, and it's then taken in the Old Testament and applied to God, who is the source of life, of spiritual life. God is the one who gives us life. He gives us saving life. He, he is the one who restores his people and sustains them. Let me give you an example. I we won't look at every Old Testament example because that would take all day, but put an old uh, bookmark here in John 4. Turn back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12, page 687 in the Pew Bible, 687, Isaiah chapter 12. Or as I like to call it, the gospel according to Isaiah. So much here about God's future work of grace. Isaiah chapter 12. Here's, let me give you a couple texts from Isaiah just to give you the sense of water being used in this way. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1 says, In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have comforted me. So Isaiah is prophesying a future time for God's people when God would no longer be a God of judgment toward them, when God would forgive their sins, his anger would be turned away, they'd be forgiven. They'd be restored to a relationship with God. Verse 2, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. God is going to save us someday. He's going to forgive our sins and will no longer be under His judgment. We'll now be saved. Instead of our judge, He'll be our Savior. Verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of of salvation. There's that imagery. So now salvation is being portrayed as water from a well that you draw up with a a bucket or something and a string. And there it is. It's salvation. 
And notice that it's God himself. It says in verse 2, God is our salvation. And so ultimately, not only is salvation like water, God himself is water. He is the one who gives us what we need and forgives us. Look at Isaiah chapter 44. Picking a few highlights here. Isaiah 44. Another prophecy about the future period when God would restore and bless and forgive His people. When God would do a new work among His people. It says in Isaiah 44, verse 1, But now listen, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So again, there's this prophesied future period where God would forgive sins, save His people from their sins. Here's another feature of it pour out His Holy Spirit, and He uses this water imagery of water on a thirsty land. Even the language of pouring out the Holy Spirit is this kind of water imagery. So it's also going to be a period where God's Holy Spirit is poured out on His people to change their hearts and and draw them back to Himself. Or just one more. Look at Isaiah 55. This is the verse that uh, Jennifer Bull, our worship director, read um, just a few moments ago. Let's look at it again. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what does not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. Your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. There's that emphasis on living by God's grace. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So here's another component of this future period. Forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, a new covenant with with a new King David sort of presiding over it. All looking forward to the time of the coming of Christ and the new covenant and the giving of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the age in which we now live when all these things have taken place. But notice again, it's compared to coming and getting water. So there's, there's all this wonderful imagery of God's salvation, all symbolized as water, the life-giving presence of God. And ultimately, again, it is God Himself who is the living water. It is God Himself who meets our deepest needs. God is life. And to be with God is to have life. To be separated from God is to be severed from life. God made us for Himself. That's why we're here. That that is the reason that human beings exist, is we are made to know and enjoy and savor and glorify and obey and worship our Creator. It's the meaning of human life. We talked, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we were at a men's retreat. A bunch of us guys went up to New Hampshire and hung out together for the weekend. And one of the things we'd studied that weekend was Adam from the Old Testament. And we saw that Adam was made in God's image. And he was God's representative on earth. And part of what that means to be God's, in God's image is that we are made to be in a relationship with God. 
we, we are made to have, this was the image we used that weekend, you know, our, our cell phones toward God were supposed to have all five bars. We, we were made to be in a living, connected relationship with our Creator. And so we're, that's life, is to know Him. He is the living water. But by turning away from Him, we have become thirsty and empty. You know, the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. You know, O Lord, I, you know, I, I am like in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, the psalmist says. And so this imagery of being thirsty for God is a, a biblical image. Have you ever been thirsty for God? Even as a Christian, have you ever felt thirsty for God because you've looked to other things? Jesus comes to bring living water. So now go back to your text. When Jesus now says to her, I'll give you living water, now you understand why he says, if you knew what I was talking about, you'd be begging me for living water. If you knew what I was describing, the gift of salvation and forgiveness and the Holy Spirit and the new covenant and God himself If you knew that, you'd be asking me if you understood the gift of God. Why don't you ask me? Why don't you come to me and ask me? And I'll give you living water. But she doesn't get it, you know, verse 11. You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. What are you doing? What are you talking about? So verse 13 and 14, Jesus tries again. Jesus gets back on her highway, and he tries to get her attention and get her off on the right highway again to help her understand what he means. So verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So now he's being a little more overt. When I'm talking about water, this water over here, that's H2O. This water I'm trying to give you is living water. It wells up to eternal life. It's something different. Notice he even plays on the word thirst. So he says, if you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. Literally thirsty. If you drink the well water, you'll need to drink again. But if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst. Now he's using thirst in a different way, in a spiritual way. I mean, he can't literally mean if you are saved, you don't need water anymore. I mean, he's speaking spiritually. He's saying, if, if you take what I have to give you, you won't thirst you know, this idea of thirsting. We, we were made to thirst for God, but as a result, we thirst for other things. This is the human condition. By turning away from the Lord, we're thirsty. We're never quite satisfied. Nothing really is ever enough. Can I show you one more verse from the Old Testament? Uh, put a bookmark here again. I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. It's on page 747 in the Pew Bible. 747, Jeremiah 2. I want to show you one verse that is simply a devastating verse in, in its focus and in the way it confronts us. Jeremiah 2.13. Here's God confronting the Israelites. He says, My people... Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. Sin number one, they have forsaken me, 
the spring of living water. Again, ultimately, God is life. And so God's people have forsaken him. They've turned away from that spring. And then what's the second thing? What's sin number two? They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. There you have in one verse, in one simple image, a a cutting diagnosis of the human spiritual condition. Do you want to know where human beings stand spiritually, where I stand spiritually, and you do naturally? This verse in just a few words captures the whole thing. We have forsaken God, the spring of living waters, and we have dug our own cisterns that cannot hold water. What another another beautiful way of saying idolatry, right? Idolatry is when we build things out of our own hands from the creation. Rather than worshiping the creator, we worship creation, things that we make, things here in this world. Same thing. We turn our backs on the spring of living water and we dig, hand dig our own cisterns. Israel's cisterns in this text, they look to other nations for their life. You know, it says down in Jeremiah 2, um, down in verse 17, have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why do you go to Egypt to drink water from the Shehor? And why do you go to Assyria to drink water from the river? So we go to other rivers, other water sources other than God. I was thinking, you know, what are some of the, the go-to cisterns that we go to when we're looking for life and fulfillment and happiness. You know, we, we all have certain tendencies. We all have some favorite cisterns that maybe we've spent a lot of time digging. And even as Christians, sometimes we find ourselves going, you know, I, I kind of would like to try that again. And we go back. You know, what, what, what are your go-to cisterns? Maybe it really is food and drink. Maybe it's partying, literally those kinds of things to fill you up when you feel empty. Where do you go? Do you, do you look to your career? Do you look to fitness or health or health foods or um, hobbies? Maybe it's the approval of others. Maybe it's like the woman back in John chapter 4, you know, where Jesus says to her, go call your husband. And she says, uh, <clears throat> I have no husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and now you're with another guy and he's not your husband. You know, for her it was relationship after relationship, after relationship. I mean, a lot of us go to relationships looking to other people to give us life. And it's not there. And it's not just that those things are unsatisfying. It's that it's a rejection of God as the giver of life. And so it's a sin. It's, it's idolatry in its own subtle kind of way. The problem is those things leave us thirsty. You know what it says in Jeremiah there? It says you dig other cisterns that don't hold water. The pool's got a leak in it. You know, it's, I, 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 have, I had a sink at home that was giving me fits for a little while because the stopper wouldn't stay down. I'd pull up on the plunger and the stopper would go down, but the water would still kind of leak through it. And I'm, I'm trying like plumber's putty. And, I, you know, God bless plumbers. I, I don't know how they keep their cool. No, nothing dr- makes me want to like rip, you know, things apart like plumbing. It just drives me crazy because, you know, you try to fix the pipes and you do it and you fill it with water and it leaks and that's how it is. It's, it's like we're filling up the sink and it's leaking and it's leaking. And, and so we're always on this quest. We're always thirsty. 
When we make other things than God our gods, they never satisfy. And so we're always looking for the, you know, the ultimate high or you know, the perfect kiss or the, uh, the, the, the perfect job or whatever it is, trying to find that perfect elusive something, but it keeps leaking and it keeps leaking and it just doesn't quite satisfy. And then something else happens. Not only does the sin in this world make us thirsty, it ultimately causes us to die because you can only be thirsty for so long. You know, th- the thing about thirst is it's a very temporary condition. Either it must be quenched or we die. It doesn't last forever in a sense, or does it? You know, God said to Adam, look, don't eat that forbidden fruit. Trust me, I'm your God. Don't eat the forbidden tree. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The second you forsake the living waters and you dig your own cistern, Adam, that's when death is going to enter the picture. Think about all of the depictions of hell in the Bible. The Bible uses a lot of jarring imagery to describe the horrors of the final judgment, the eternal judgment of hell. What are some of the images the Bible uses? Darkness, fire, smoke, Worms, weeping, gnashing of teeth. But there's one thing you never find described as being in hell. Water. In fact, I think of the story that Jesus told, probably one of the most vivid descriptions of hell we have in the Bible is from Jesus. In fact, the whole reason we believe in the doctrine of hell is because Jesus taught it more than anybody else. If our Savior who loved us and died for us warned us about hell, then we need to listen. And Jesus told this story in Luke about the, uh, the rich man and, and the poor man named Lazarus. You know the story? And they die, and the, the poor man named Lazarus goes into heaven to Abraham's side, and the rich man is sent to the torments of hell. And do you remember in that story, the, the rich man looks up from his suffering, and he sees Lazarus, the poor man, at Abraham's side, and he cries out, Father Abraham! Send Lazarus to me that he might do what? Dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I am in agony. If we forsake God and we dig other cisterns for ourselves, we will be thirsty forever and ever and ever, world without end. But Jesus promises something different. He says, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus came to die on a cross in order to bear that hellish punishment so that we could be forgiven and have this living water. The living water is very expensive. The good news is that our Savior has paid the price to purchase it so that he can say, come freely to the waters, all you who are thirsty. Jesus died on the cross. As he hung on the cross, what did he say? I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. He was under the curse of God. He he bore our punishment. And now there is living water. Now he says, whoever wants this water, 
Come and, and I'll give it to you. You'll never thirst again. In fact, it'll become a spring of water in you. And I think especially here in the, in the context of John, he's talking about the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Uh, you know, it's, it's God doing a new thing inside of you. It's really, in some ways, I think the conversation with the woman at the well in Samaria is very similar to the conversation he had back in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Where, you know, he told Nicodemus, look, you, you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. What's he talking about, born again? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Hey, lady, you know, I can give you living water. It'll become a spring within you. What is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. And so these two very different people, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, one a, a, a high-ranking, uh, well-educated, ethical Jew, this other, this kind of dirty Samaritan woman with all these relationships, but they need the exact same thing. They need living water. They need to be born again. They need Christ to give them the Holy Spirit, and the forgiveness of them, their sins that He will purchase on the cross for His people. So here's this wonderful promise. And not only that, look, it wells up to eternal life. Just as sin leads to eternal death, so this water, it says there in verse 14, wells up to eternal life. Many years later, John, who wrote this gospel, near the end of his life, is going to have a vision He's going to write it down. It's going to be called the book of Revelation. And at the end of that revelation, John gets a little glimpse of heaven. And what does he see? The river of the water of life watering the future home of God's people. I don't know what heaven's going to be like totally. It's kind of a big surprise. I can't wait to find out. But one thing I think I can stand here and say confidently before you about heaven is that if you get there, you will not be thirsty because God's presence will be there. Life will be there. Everything that we need in God's presence forever. And so what do we do to get this living water? What, what is it that is required of us? We just need to ask for it. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So, she still doesn't quite get it yet. She's kind of, she still doesn't, she's still fuzzy on what he's talking about. But something has changed. Her posture has changed. Even though she doesn't fully grasp everything he's saying, she's gone from, who are you? Why are you talking to me? This is awkward. And Jesus says, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd, you'd, want, it, you'd want the living water. So she's gone from, who are you, to, okay. I'll take it. Even though she doesn't fully get what he means, she's shifted. Do you feel a shift taking place in your soul? Even if you fully don't understand it? Have you ever gone through that shift in your life where, where you've gone from, you know, eh, religion, it's a bunch of hypocrites, I'm fine, you know, I, I don't need that, that's a crutch for people who aren't intellectual, blah, 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 you know, all those you know, straw men. And then something happens and suddenly you shift and you say, I want something. I want it. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is life. He has life. Like we sang in the beginning, He's alive. And in Him, you can be alive. You just have to ask. 
because he is offering, come to the waters. All you who are thirsty, come and drink and find what life is really, what life really tastes like. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning. We are here because you are the living water and we have drunk from the cisterns and been unsatisfied. Lord, even as Christians, we confess to you this morning, we keep sneaking off back to the old cisterns and they're still unsatisfying as ever. Lord, would you, by your Spirit, just fill up those old cisterns in our life with stones and with sand so that we might not go there anymore. Lord, I pray that instead we would... uh, would develop a palate for the living water that only Christ delivers. Lord, help us to seek Him more and more. God, I pray for anybody here who, who doesn't quite know You yet but is curious. Maybe a shift is taking place in their heart, Lord. I thank You that You're the one who creates that shift. And Lord, I pray that You would just draw more and more people to Yourself, that You would give us eyes to see that the water of this world is polluted and it leaves us thirsty, and it leads to death. God, I pray that you would make Jesus more and more in people's eyes here, that we would more and more see him for who he is as the one who brings living water. Help us to see what this woman in the story was struggling to see, that you truly are the Son of God. You truly are the one who brings eternal life. And God, I pray for South Shore Baptist Church that this place would be a well that your living water would be in this congregation. I pray, Lord, that many would come to this church and have a conversation with Jesus, that he would meet thirsty people here. And, Lord, we would bring thirsty people here, that, we would, that our church would be a place where people can find Christ. Lord, make it so, we pray in your name. Amen.